Hello, Breakthrough listeners. This is Erwin, host of the November 9th Wealth Hacker Conference in Toronto with keynote by Mr. 10X himself, Grant Cardone. If you're serious about creating multiple streams of income to get freedom from your job, support your kids through school, we will be hosting an all-day masterclass for beginner to professional investors to get on the fastest path to achieving your goals. For more details, go to wealthhacker.ca and your special discount code is BREAKTHROUGH. Again, that's wealthhacker.ca for details, discount code BREAKTHROUGH. Sandy and Rob already have their tickets and we will see you all there. Hi, this is Dion Beg from Butler Mortgage. We're currently ranked the number one mortgage brokerage in Ontario and number two in Canada. And much of our success is due to the fact that we help clients acquire multiple investment properties. If you'd like to talk with a mortgage advisor who specializes in investment property, you can reach me at 888-684-8326. To learn more about what's going on in the world of investment property financing, check out episode 23 of the Breakthrough Podcast, where I discuss the topic with Robin Sandy. Breakthrough Real Estate Investing Podcast, episode 98. Hello and welcome to the Breakthrough Real Estate Investing Podcast. We put this show together to inspire you and help you break through to the life that you want to live through the power of real estate investing. My name is Rob Break. I'm good. Here with me again is Sandy McKay. Hey Rob, beautiful pause there. Liked it. Yep. I'm getting better at that. Building pause. it up. I've got it down to like the millisecond. Yeah. So my timing is perfect. Be one of the, um, how's it going? Uh, amazing. Excited to get into this one again. We've got uh, uh, great interviews coming up. Section or segment two to, the, to our last episode, which was uh, all about the birth strategy. So going to be pretty good. Yeah, I like this. We've got, uh, we've broken it down. We dive a little bit deeper into each section of that, where normally we might talk to one person about, uh, you know, what they've encountered during that, using that strategy, right? We'll talk to the investor and they'll walk us through everything that they did. That's great. But we've sort of zeroed in on the real specialist in this, in this strategy for each section of it. And so today we're going to be talking about the refinance and rent. And if you didn't hear the other, um, the other two, the buy and fix or buy and renovate uh, portions of it, just go back and listen to the last episode and you'll be all caught up to listen to this one. Uh, so as always, I want to encourage everyone to hop on over to our website, breakthroughreapodcast.ca, grab our free report there, the ultimate wealth strategy for uh the ultimate strategy, sorry, for building wealth through real estate. And you will not only get that, you also get in on our email list to get updates on all of our uh, property tours, events, all the different things that we do uh, on top of doing this podcast. So go pick that up and jump on our list so you don't miss out on any of those uh, awesome events coming up. And go over to iTunes and leave us a review, please. That really helps us out. We've got one new review right now, so I may as well read that one. Um... Tone Chuck says, great Canadian content, five stars. This podcast is very relevant to the Canadian real estate investor. Lots of great guests that provide insight and tips. Inspired me to keep purchasing more properties. So I guess it's supposed to say, so it did its job. Thanks, guys. 
Uh, thank you, Tone Chuck. Really appreciate that. And everyone else who has taken the time to go over and leave us a review, we really do appreciate those. So keep them coming. What else do we got, Rob? We got anything, any other things to mention before we jump into the, the interviews? Well, you know, we have a bunch of different things, but we don't, we've got a guest waiting on. So let's get to them. <laughs> awesome. Okay. Well, as, uh, as mentioned, we're going to dive into the, rent, uh, the refinance portion of this uh, strategy, the burst strategy. And our first guest as, as part of that uh, in part two here of the, our series is Josh Perez, Josh Perez. And Josh is one of our preferred mortgage specialists, uh, co-owner of Synergy Mortgage Group. Uh, Josh is an investor himself. He owns several, several rental properties. He specializes in working with investors and uh, he's also one of the key members of, of our power team here that we use, do a lot of work with uh, as part of this first strategy. So welcome to the show, Josh. Thanks guys. Uh, appreciate you having me and uh, it's been a long time coming. I've been waiting for this day. So uh, <laughs> I'd like to thank you right now and uh, I'm excited. Thanks for, thanks for having me. Yeah. Welcome Josh. Good to have you. Thanks. Do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself and your own investing journey so far? Because you're not only a, uh, a mortgage specialist, but you're also an investor. Yeah, no, definitely. Uh, kind of what even got me in on um, pursuing the mortgage brokering path was really my uh, initial uh, investing in, in real estate. So I was, I was at a big bank. I was at CIBC for, for five years, starting in 2009. And um you know, I was helping people with uh, investment properties, um, regular buying their own, you know, primary residences, mutual fund stocks, retirement planning, all that stuff. And it wasn't really until I bought my first investment property in 2010 that I started to kind of really get dialed into to real estate and the mortgage side of things a lot more. And um, eventually that kind of led to me wanting to transition uh, to just working exclusively in mortgages and, and working as a mortgage broker is no doubt that's the, the best place to serve the most people. Uh, so I made that transition in 2000, uh, started 2015. And um, yeah, been helping, I'd say a good fit, maybe even more than a 50-50 mix of the clients we help are investor related. Uh, my journey started uh, downtown Hamilton. Uh, first property I purchased in 2010 was was at the time a, a turnkey duplex. Today it would probably be more recognized as, um, you know, a, a property that could have been turnkey, but you'd immediately want to uh, create some appreciation, uh, improve the units and rent it out. But at that time you, you, you could kind of afford uh, to hang on and not necessarily increase the rents because, you know, we're buying duplexes with existing rent, rents and, and decent tenants at like just over $200,000 two and a half story brick homes. It's crazy. It, it, it hurts that um, we didn't buy more at the time. Um, so yeah, that's kind of what we started off with uh, duplexes, triplexes, um, had kind of one flip mixed in there. It definitely wasn't kind of the core about our strategy is more so acquiring properties that can generate cash flow. And eventually a couple opportunities that came about um, got us involved into some larger unit properties, um, six unit mixed use, um, then to a 15 unit. And so we've kind of got a good mix in our portfolio right now. We have about 35 doors. Um, and it's a mix across some kind of single family, uh, sorry, residential conversions, uh, two, three units, uh, up until like a 15 unit, uh, residential apartment right now. Oh, great. Okay. Well, so yeah, you're deep into it. And, uh, and that's interesting how, we're not really here to talk about the mixed use stuff, but maybe someday you can come back and talk about the mixed use stuff because I know there's a lot of questions that people have about that kind of financing. 
Yeah, no, definitely. It's a moral story. It's, it's a totally different world. It's not to say it's, uh, it's better or worse. It's just totally different. Uh, but they're, you know, just like any kind of niche you're exploring, there's always opportunities once you do your diligence, build your power team, uh, and really kind of set your goals and really understand what you're looking for. Uh, so yeah, that definitely. Um, what, okay. So we're here to talk to you about the, the, uh, the refinance portion of the buy, fix, refi and rent. And we, we sort of went through the buy as far, like, so we talked to Adrian, um, about the buy and what kind of things to look for, especially, you know, and just having an idea of what that refi is going to look like. Right. But if we were to ask you, um, let's just see if your answer, you know, meshes with his hundred percent on what things you should be looking for on the buy side to make sure you get that rent, the refi. Okay. So, I mean, there's a few different categories of um, what you should be looking for. I mean, there's like property specific related items. There's um, rental potential with, you know, potential layout or construction considerations. Um, then there's also like stuff related to, you know, what are surrounding properties today? If you're look, assessing an opportunity look like currently compared to what you're buying. And then what do they look like today? at the refinance stage when they're post renovation, right? Cause that's going to be an indicator of what you can project that, uh, that renovation or, or, or equity takeout to look like. So for me, like there's, there's a few different categories that I always stick to that are so important at the very start. So kind of really has to do for, for me, I've kind of identified three kind of things, uh, maybe like maybe a sub point, uh, three, one being is like, you really got to be honest with what, what your goals are like be honest with what your goals are it might sound cool to do you know a burr project and see a bunch of them but like can you handle everything that's involved and are you willing to to really commit to building your own power team so i think building your own power team of the right real estate expert the right mortgage professional and the right contractor are critical for the strategy um, at every stage not having the right professionals in your circle can lead to some major major disappointment and, and potential issues if you're not surrounding yourself with those people because um, they're experts in their in their field and it's critical because there's a lot of different variables in the strategy um, that can be close to controlled um, if you're leaning on people who have done it so also with those same people like for me it, it's really tough to kind of buy into working with one of those three that don't invest themselves or, or have not done probably like a dozen of of these transactions or strategies from start to finish before uh, to see all of it. That's huge. Um, qualifying. I know there's a question on like appraisals and property specifics uh, that we're probably going to touch on specifically, but you know, ass assessing like the qualifying side at the very start is uh, critical, right? So like projecting with that real estate partner, Hey, if you put in a hundred, $150,000 into this house, doing what we determine are the highest, value return construction related items. Um, this is what properties are selling for right now at this price point, right? And trusting that that information that the real estate partner and the construction professional and assessing how much it's going to cost are, are accurate, right? Um, if you're looking at comparables with qualities of finishes that are five times greater than what you're putting into it, that's, that's going to yield a different kind of appraisal result than than the other person who's, who's investing better quality finishes, let's say is one thing. Um, and the other thing too is like 
being truly like prepared with like, you know, best case, worst case scenario outcomes, right? So yeah, we bought this property at 450 or 500,000. We plan to put in 125,000 into it. You know, we project that the value, you know, should be worth somewhere between, you know, 700 and 750,000. Um, like we need to prepare ourselves for this investment if the appraisal comes in at 700. Like obviously we're gonna target 750, 775, 800 and pull on all resources possible to make that happen. But are you prepared? to move forward with this opportunity if the appraisal comes back at 700. And having those conversations, laying out the numbers so that um, we're prepared for a range of outcomes, not necessarily just the best possible outcome. And, um, and yeah, that's because really at the end of the day, you don't know 100% what it's gonna look like at the end of it. And, and I guess we'll talk about the appraisal part a little more at the end and what, what um, how someone could maybe better predict uh, what their value is going to be. But what, so during the process, then once they've bought, they've got something, they're starting through the process. What, what kind of things should they be doing or thinking about from a mortgage or refinance side of things uh, kind of during the renovation process, what should maybe there are the things in the market they should be watching and keeping an eye out for. What are some of those things to keep in mind? Yeah, no, that's a great question. And uh, <clears throat> you know, we're constantly, even for us too, right. As we go through, I think we've probably, done almost like a hundred of these projects over the last like three years, if we were to kind of take from start to finish. So we're seeing a lot of activity from the start of the, the purchase to the end. And we're hearing information from our clients, our real estate partners, our appraisers, right? So we're using that. Um, but I'd say, you know, paying attention to location of your property and what's going on, what kind of real estate activity is going on in your, in the immediate vicinity is certainly important. I don't, you know, as a mortgage professional, <clears throat> don't necessarily see every active sold that happens. We're, we're in touch with other kinds of information, but real estate partner, keeping them uh, in the loop <clears throat> throughout your, your phase of construction, even though, you know, the, the buy has happened and still might be kind of leaning on them for some expertise, but still kind of touching base on what's going on in the market, right? Uh, during your construction period, super important. Um, so location dictates a lot. Um, square footage of the property is a big one. Okay, so uh, when we're doing our diligence to compare potential properties that uh, might be seen as comparable when we look to refinance, looking at the square footage of both, both properties and the finished above grade square footage. Okay, so, so that is kind of seen as, so when we're identifying what is a comparable property and speaking to appraisers and looking at reports on a regular basis, uh, key items are proximity to your property, that's one thing, square footage as a comparable, and quality of finishes. I think those are um, uh, the, the top three items. Um, unit layouts, definitely. Now, one thing I do wanna mention that um, often gets misunderstood is um, the three different approaches to an appraisal report, okay? So, so there are three different standards uh, in Canada uh, to appraise a property, okay? So there's a uh, cost approach, which isn't really used for financing purposes, it's more so used for insurance purposes. So that's like, if this house, you know, uh, burnt down and, and it needed to be completely rebuilt, what would be the cost? So that's one way of valuing or appraising a property. That's included in a report, but it's not used for financing purposes. So that's one way. Uh, another version that is used by investors that are assessing investment opportunities and is super important is the income approach. So based on a certain level of rental income, and cap rate, what should this property be worth in a certain area? 
Now, when, when real estate investors and, uh, are assessing, is this a good property or investment opportunity? That metric is super, super important and dictates how attractive an opportunity might be. Now, whether a property is um, producing X amount of rental income or cash flow doesn't necessarily have an impact on um, residential, um, residential properties, okay, four units or less. The metric that they have to use is direct comparison. <clears throat> so that means specifically not comparing income between sold properties, but comparing those three things I mentioned, location, square footage, and quality of finishes. Uh, and again, it, it's not in line with how an investor may assess or how I would look at if, if I want to buy a property, but just understanding that that's what is weighted more heavily uh, is important. Sure, the rental income will be taken into consideration based on the, the size of the units and the number of bedrooms. It'll definitely be given some consideration, but it's definitely not he as heavily weighted as those other items. Um, how, okay, so how do you look at rental income? Let's talk about that quickly. Yeah, so lenders uh, really, uh, it's a really popular question uh, amongst or comment amongst people as I heard this lender use 100% rental income, I heard this one use 75, 50. All lenders kind of have their own in-house version of how rental income is treated on an application. It can get pretty complex, right? But I'll give you a very basic example. You know, some might say, oh, I heard um, <clears throat> lender ABC uses 90% uh, of rental income why are you using the lender that uses only 50% of rental income? But on the surface, that might sound like an obvious answer, right? But behind the scenes, it's like, okay, well, what, do you, what, are, what is lender ABC offsetting from that 90% or 100% income, right? Are they offsetting mortgage payment, property taxes, utilities, insurance, vacancy, property management, all those things versus lender CDE, who is using 50% of rental income, and they're only offsetting mortgage payment. The, the version with 50% rental income actually yields you a higher surplus in that example, uh, in this fake example, but the, the concept that whatever the surface level of rental income they use, it doesn't really matter because what matters is what is the net result of the total calculation, which often doesn't get discussed. So lenders, some lenders are doing 50%. Uh, of the, the gross rental income minus mortgage payment. A lot of them are using, you know, might be using a higher amount. Uh, so for us, it really comes down to identifying like what are we trying to do and finding the right lender to place you with based on what is most favorable um, for, you know, rate qualifying, equity takeout, appraisal, those kind of things. Um, another thing too, just on that note, is not all rental income is calculated the same, right? So, you know, some lenders need a lease. Some lenders are willing to work with a schedule on an appraisal that's called, called the schedule of market rents, where they'll take an estimated um, rental amount. So if you just finish a renovation, it's not rented yet, um, they might use a, a reasonable expectation for what you can rent it out. Some lenders want to see three months bank account deposits of the rent going in the bank account. Some lenders will want to use a combination of that and did you claim this on your tax return? Um, so again, you know, it's, it's not for our, you know, our, our boards and clients to, to, to build this matrix of all these things. That's really our job to kind of be familiar and understanding all these things. And the good thing about working with um, a professional who is an investor themselves, like selfishly, I want to know all of these things for myself too. And I'm gonna share that with my clients as well.
So we're constantly, you know, being updated with lenders who come and see us and are changing policies. And, and that's our job to kind of understand uh, where, it, uh, where it fits best. And that's another thing too, that we don't really touch on that often, Sandy, is the fact that um, a lot of people don't even really understand the difference between a mortgage broker and a mortgage agent. Um, do you want to, do you want to go into yeah. that, Josh? Because I mean, you're talking as a broker, right? Like you mm -hmm. have access to different lenders. Whereas mm -hmm. if someone just goes to the bank, the bank has one option, one way that they look at that deal. You know, like, um, like you said, bank ABC looks at the, the rental income one way when trying to qualify for the mortgage and, and another one looks at it in a different way. And so you as a broker have access to different lenders. You're not just stuck with one you can shop around and see which one is the best. No, that's absolutely right. And, and interesting, we actually just had uh, an event uh, last week, uh, Mortgage Professionals Industry Night, where we actually had uh, a bunch of uh, mortgage bank specialists, bankers, brokers out to kind of chat just about the industry in general. And also like, you know, comparing um, bank and broker channel, right? And the reality is as a mortgage broker, when, you know, you're in what we call an A client or someone with, you know, traditional income, uh, traditional credit, um, you know, there's not a fee to work with a mortgage broker. So you, you work with a mortgage broker who works on your behalf, doesn't work for the institution. It's working, you know, on your behalf with the lender and has access to like 30 different lenders. Do we use all those lenders in all situations? No, but the optics of having that free choice to give you an unbiased kind of option and assess more than one underwriting policy. Um, I don't know. I think it's a no brainer to be honest with you. There were times like, you know, maybe five, 10 years ago where, you know, you can go into the bank and um, they pull up your profile and say, Hey, yeah, you know what? Tom's been a client of ours for, for 20 years. And, you know, um, you know, past, you know, three years, he's earned, you know, uh, X amount of income and he's just temporarily off work right now. So, you know what, he's been a good client. Um, yeah, we can just make the case and we'll just kind of skip all the traditional lending parameters and get him a mortgage. Uh, those days are gone, actually. The government's really, really strict uh, with auditing and, and risk and, and being compliant, as we've seen in the last three years. That, that was one of the major benefits is like relationship tenure was something that could supersede like underwriting criteria. And, and that doesn't exist as of the last like three, four years. The other thing, the crazy thing, too, is like banks are like they're trying to generate like, you know, billion dollar quarterly profits or revenues. Right. They're so cutthroat and competitive with one another they're like sadly more interested in the client who has no tenure with them to gain market share over the other bank versus the person that's been there who has five products who's less likely to leave because it's it's you know too inconvenient they're more after the the new client so that concept uh in terms of like as a broker having access to go to other lenders for sure you know mortgage brokers are licensed professionals too uh, we have to be licensed like we depend on you know doing an amazing job for our for our partners and clients so that, you know, they refer us, right? If we don't do a good job, A, we won't get the mortgage, we won't be compensated, but B, further, uh, we might not be getting future business, right? At the bank, you know, some people are salaried there, that they'll get compensated whether it happens or not. Um, we're really trying to be a professional and expert to, to kind of build our reputation and brand so that we're trusted and, 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 and more partners can depend on us with their clients and themselves, really. Yeah, I think that's a really important distinction that we needed to touch on there too, because I I believe, um, especially since you have access to most likely that same bank that that person was going to go to the agent in the first place, not necessarily, but most likely you do. Um, you know, you can you can look at that option as well as the other options. 
Now, one quick question before we move on. Um, if you're going to, let's just use CIBC for an example. Don't know if you have access to them or not, but um, if you're, if, if someone's going to CIBC and you're looking at CIBC as a lender for their deal, are you held to the same policies as the agent that works at CIBC or do you guys have looser restrictions? Yeah, no, good question. So I'll kind of just uh, summarize a couple of things. So mortgage brokers of the big banks, we have access to TD and Scotiabank. Okay. Uh, Bank of Montreal, CIBC and RBC don't operate in the broker channel. Okay. And sorry, just for the, like the terminology, just in case anyone's kind of wondering. So mortgage, uh, mortgage agent and um, is, is on the broker channel. A mortgage broker is someone who has a certain license, but okay. mortgage brokers in general refer to as brokers, but most of them are actually mortgage agents. Okay. Um, and then, yeah. And then you have like the bank rep or a specialist. So yeah. So in terms of policies, I would say that, no, I wouldn't say that the broker channel has uh, looser policies, but what I would say is uh, we potentially get better service through um, a dedicated relationship that we have with an underwriter. So as a mortgage broker, if you're sending a certain level of volume and quality business to a lender, you get appointed a dedicated underwriter who is only one person who looks at almost all of your files that you send to them. So naturally you build a relationship with that person and you, you know, sometimes you see them out at events and um, you talk about business and sometimes like lenders are actually like uh, underwriters are on, on the broker side uh, can be commission based. So they have an incentive to try to work toward getting a file done uh, for you. Whereas at the bank branches, majority of the time your file is going to an underwriting queue at a centralized office that next person up picks it up. And they probably don't know who you are, who your organization is. And it's not to say that you might not get the same outcome, but that relationship piece typically isn't there. And the turnaround time and the um, benefit of the doubt that they might give you in explaining a story about a client situation or a file doesn't exist, right? And nowadays, like, more and more challenging to to get mortgages approved a lot of people have you know kind of unique income situations own multiple properties and to truly understand what that looks like on a, on a mortgage application and conveying that story requires a lot of detail and conversation and so when you have that trust and rapport with a relationship and a lender that you send a ton of business to to get quick turnaround times get the benefit of the doubt and trust um, often you're, you're getting way better results and optimal uh, outcomes for your clients and, and, and turnaround times if that makes sense yeah, that's good. And thanks for explaining the uh, terms there for the, for the agents and, and the bank representatives. Mm -hmm. uh, so <clears throat> biggest mistakes, what do people make mistakes on when they're, when they're going through this process? What are the, some of the things to look out for or some things you see people making regularly? Yeah. So I'm going to knock on wood here. Um, I'd say, you know, thankfully uh, in, you know, kind of three, four years of, you know, kind of working with, with your team, Sandy, and, and you guys have, you know, Kind of been the pioneers in Hamilton of this of this strategy, right? So we've seen a lot of different kind of um, projects. Um, thankfully, because like all those clients were meeting at the start, um, you know, working with with us, our team, and and your team, or like you're you're nailing down two of the three kind of what I deem as like the kind of the triangle uh, aside from the contractors. So honestly in like almost a hundred kind of files, like I don't think we've had like a real huge disappointment. There have been clients who have been referred to me 
that I haven't pre-approved or pre-qualified, who haven't necessarily worked with an agent that I know that have come in to me at the tail end and said, hey, I want to refinance this property. I've been declined or I got this appraisal. That's a different story. But what I found in those cases to be is it really just comes back to those three things. Um, were your goals unrealistic? Um, did you not have that full power team around you? Were you not working with an expert real estate agent? Were you not speaking with and, and mapping out what the whole financial plan and qualifying looks like with a true mortgage professional who understands the strategy? So it always and kind of, and then also, sorry, the contractor too. the contractor you work with, did you have a relationship with them? Um, do you know their track record where they referred to you? Um, that like for me, even in getting into real estate investing, um, all had to do with like my mentors and people I surrounded myself with. Um, and it's no different with the strategy. You're, you're only going to grow as quickly, as quick as like how effective and strong your power team is. Like people who like underestimate that or want to DIY the strategy, you know what, maybe after you've done, you know, two or three projects yourself, it's possible for sure. Even then I still think you need help. Um, it, it all comes down to, you know, you, you just kind of, brought on any you know you just went into the bank and just trusted whoever you know you went in there uh, told you at the start or at the finish you didn't you know source out a proper contractor who came with referrals from other people you didn't work with a real estate agent who projected you know comparables or projects uh, that kind of thing right that's what it always comes out to like 100 percent of the time anytime i've come across something like that i mean the real key to this whole strategy sandy is the power team I yeah. mean, anyone 100%. I think can go out and they can buy a, a, a rental property, let's say, and, and the agent, even if they don't specialize in, in income properties, can look at the comparable sales and say, yeah, yeah, this one, you know, is a good price. So, um, you know, those kind of things are pretty straightforward. But if you want to build this into a business, that's what we're talking about here getting that money and recycling it into the next project. If you, if that's the kind of thing that's important to you to keep moving on and keep purchasing and keep building a portfolio, these are the kind of things that are important. It's really difficult to do it without experience there. Right. And, and experience of people like the people around you being experienced. There's so many different, we can talk about this probably for hours on the little intricate details yeah. and things that come up. Right. And the, there's, it's hard to, it's hard to keep track of it all, even for the, especially I know mortgage industry and that there's so many things changing all the time. Like if you're not in on that every day, like a professional would be, then how could you possibly know how these things are always changing? And, and, and realtors have that too. I think mortgage industry has that even, even more so um, with all the different lending rules and everything changing, right? Because I mean, you can, uh, you can educate yourself as much as you want as an investor without access to the resources that your realtor has and that your mortgage broker has and that your contractor has without access to those things, you can't make an educated decision no matter how much research you've done. Mm -hmm. It's impossible. Mm -hmm. So, so yeah. So that, I mean, the biggest mistakes, like you said, point out clearly, obviously not having the right power team in place, not having the right person in that position to give you the information that you need to make the proper educated decision. Yeah. Like you can say it, it, like you can name all these specific kind of details of what went wrong, but I promise you every single one of them funnels back up to my power team. Had I had the right power team, this detailed little issue that I think blew everything up uh, wouldn't have happened, but it, it just tra always traces back to 
the team around you for sure. And maybe you were missing something that you didn't know you, you needed. Um, but it comes down to, down to that. Quick, 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 quick call and a problem to the right person is uh, easily solved, right? Um, versus spending hours or, or hours and hours and possibly still doing it wrong, um, trying to do it on your own and, and ending up with a bad result. Yeah. It's great to learn uh, on your own. Uh, but if you can avoid like uh, very punitive financial mistakes through surrounding yourself with others, like oh, probably pretty good. Pretty good strategy if you lean it on some other people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you go for it. Okay. I was going to touch on the, the market kind of and where we're at uh, just to give a, an update. So we're, we're nearing uh, end of 2019 here. And what's, what are some things happening in the market right now? And how might it impact someone looking to use this strategy? Um, and then how, how might they monitor things for the future? What are some things to, to look at that, that might, you know, affect things for uh, people using the strategy for the next, you know, year and so on? Yeah, so um, I'm pretty boring. So I'm uh, going to kind of go back to uh, um, kind of the original pillars of what they, you know, might want to do is like, you know, if you don't have a power team, like that, that that's your first step, really. Uh, meeting, interviewing people. And, and this, this podcast is a great place to, to, to meet the right people who have experience doing this. Uh, in terms of the market, like right now, on, on the mortgage side of things, um, I don't think this plays too much into like the strategy, but I'll just quickly talk a few mortgage notes. Um, you know, we've seen rates kind of move like drastically over the past like year and a half. Um, you know, they, at the low of like, you know, kind of like 2017, we were in like the mid twos. Um, then they shot up to almost like 4%, uh, about a year, year and a bit ago. And now we're back in the like high twos. You know, we have an election coming up, you know, there were a couple, you know, announcements. Uh, there was those new, that new shared equity, uh, mortgage kind of announcement that came out with the government was just released um, last month. I would say that um, that's not really impacting investors because it's for owner-occupied uh, properties uh, only. Uh, but I will say that, you know, with an election coming, there might be some policy tweaks or changes coming up. Uh, one thing too, I would say with the birth strategy, um, just to be conscious of is, uh, you know, your comparables are, are subject to like recent activity. So, you know, now the appraisal is done, we're probably capturing the last six months, you know, spring, summer, early fall, uh, where, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, guys, like, I mean, I, I think real estate activity is a little busier during those, mo those months versus like November to maybe March in terms of transactions. So, I mean, if you're working on something like now is a really good time to, to capitalize on, on some sales and comparables right now in an appraisal report, as you get into like a January, February, uh, and you know, we're kind of backtracking sales from January, December, November, uh, not to say that they don't exist, but there's just a little bit less to come up with. So just something to be conscious of, uh, on your hunt, on your renovation, if you're delaying things or, or mapping out a plan. Um, and then just the sooner you sit in front of someone, even if you don't think um, you're ready to buy a property tomorrow or next month, like buying any property, let alone your third or fourth is like the biggest purchase of your life. It's a big deal. You should sit down and build a plan and start that. Even if you're, you know, three, six, 12 months away, uh, because there's a lot of detail involved and, and you shouldn't just leave that to, you know, the week before you want to start looking at houses in person on a weekend kind of thing. You know what else too? Um, so here, let's clear this up. How far back are the banks willing to look at comparable sales? Um, so, yeah, so the appraisers, I mean, I'm trying to think like if they're, 
I think the, the rule of thumb is they want to keep it, you know, ideally like, like 90 days uh, regularly though, like for lack of comparables, they can make an argument to go further back if they don't have comparables. And so, you know, six months, I think is kind of like almost have there been one offs where they've gone a bit longer. Yeah. But I'd say if there's enough activity happening within like the three to six month time frame, um, you know, they're going to have to build a pretty strong case to omit all of that to go further back. Mm-hmm. And that's always been my case for people that are sort of the DIY renovators mm-hmm. is that that kind of stuff takes a lot longer. And by the time you're out six months, almost all the comparable sales that you were looking at to purchase yeah. that property, they're, they're not going to work anymore. So I, I, like my, my motto has always been time is money. So I'll, I'll, I'll pay a little bit extra. I'll get someone who's going to be there every day working yeah. on a project and get it done. Right. I think that's a, that's a very valuable thing too, because then those comparable sales are still relevant. Not to say that in a rising market, they're not going to be new ones that will replace them, but you know, it could work exactly opposite as well. You also I, start getting your rents in faster, right? So yeah. <laughs> yeah, get the money, true. get the money and coming in quicker, get the money back quicker. Lots of advantages. I think they're going to save money by doing it themselves. And I don't necessarily think that's the case. I mean, you've got those people, especially if they're still working, they go, okay, I can go over there every night and on the weekends. And then they find family life suffers. Yeah. You know, <laughs> their wife isn't happy that, that unless the wife is there helping, which is in case, you know, with a lot of investors that we know, but let's, you know, there's, there's a number of different things that come up and it drags out longer. Right. So quality too. Right. <laughs> Are you, <laughs> that, that yeah. can be one sometimes, but Oh, one quick note, uh, just as we're bringing up appraisals, uh, I don't know that I touched on this earlier, but it's just good again, optically to know, um, you know, on the broker side of things, you know, an appraiser, um, they come in all shapes and, 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 and forms in terms of who's going to come out to your property. And, every appraiser has to, you know, conform to the same kind of standards uh, as per, you know, kind of their license and, and, and regulations. But just know that, you know, on the broker side of things with some lenders, we can actually pick and choose the appraisal company and person that goes out to appraise the property. And, you know, they very well might come up with the exact same result as uh, the random appraiser that goes out. But I mean, you know, again, it just comes back to like relationships, power team network, And so obviously, you know, someone you have a relationship with in business that, you know, you value their integrity and their job, but like, you know, you build a case for something and I'm like, you know, when I go and speak to an appraiser or or make an argument for something, that argument is not just coming because client wants this value to be as high as possible, or I just want to get this mortgage value as high as possible. It's like, no, okay. I spoke to my partner, you know, Sandy or Adrian or Rob, and they did their diligence and told me that a property that they've seen uh, or, or, or a few of them are selling at this amount. Uh, I trust that you did your diligence and that you're not going to make me look foolish or compromise my other partner's integrity. And I take that information and it makes sense. And we bring it to the other partner and collectively, like it gives us a better opportunity to achieve like the outcome that's desired. Right. Versus, sorry, I was just going to say versus like, you know, when you, you know, appraisals like that go into at the bank, they go into a queue and it's like next person up and that person appraising the property in Hamilton could be from Toronto, Mississauga, maybe it's from Hamilton, Niagara. And sadly, like, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, from Hamilton, grew up here and uh, you know, a lot of people like to make the, the hammer jokes, steel town only, that kind of thing. And 
there still is a stigma, right? Someone comes down and is like, oh yeah, no, this person just brought this property three months ago, six months ago. Oh, there's no way it could be worth $150,000, $200,000 more. It's Hamilton. That's crazy. And they just, they're gonna, still going to see it and assess it, but they're coming with the preconceived notion and mentality that like, I have to find ways to prove this wrong versus try to support it, right? And that's what happens behind the scenes. And we can't achieve every kind of uh, appraisal result that we want, but if we're coming at it with the right professionals and, and advice and information that we've built up and, and learned over the years of, of what makes sense, then we're gonna have a better chance at it. And that doesn't happen a lot of the time if we're going through the bank channel, it's just, there's no relationships there. It's just a randomized next person up. Don't even get to talk to them or have a conversation with them. I do find that my appraisals have been more in line with what I thought they would be when I was working with someone who the appraiser is someone that understands the investor side of it, understands the lift and the, and possibly the change in use and understands the value in that. Whereas the one-off appraiser sometimes doesn't. So I do Certainly believe not. that relationship is super important too. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, that's huge. Uh, thanks, man. We've went on longer than we were going to, but we've covered a whole lot of stuff. So really appreciate you coming on and sharing all this. No, awesome, guys. I, uh, like I said, I've been, been very excited to be here today. So uh, no, thanks. Uh, thanks for having me. It's, uh, you know what, it's a, it's a very interesting topic. Um, there's a ton of opportunity out there. It's, it's, it's really, really cool seeing uh, client, you know, first time, first time investors or even first time Burr investors take their first project from start to finish and kind of like seeing like how the plan actually kind of mapped out and, and executed. It's, it's really powerful. I've seen a lot of these people um, go from being a JV partner, let's say to try to learn to doing a few projects as a JV or on their own. And then eventually like attracting their own JV partners based on their experience. Right. Um, it's like kind of 10 Xing, like, you know, that, that portfolio or those, those relationships. It's, it's really neat. The strategy is amazing. Uh, but make sure you're, you're setting up your power team. I'm going to share a little win here before we ask people how to get in touch with you. And this is the, the last burr that I did. We bought, we bought our, that property in July, mid, uh, sorry, July 2nd. I think we took it. Um, we bought the place for 455,000. We put 42,000 into it in cosmetic renovations and we just got our uh, appraisal at 590. So, 590 gets you what's, what's 80%, 80% back. <laughs> what are you asking me math on the <laughs> spot, man? I can't do it right now. 472. No, we got the numbers guy there. There we go. Yeah. So basically it's, it's almost all of our money back. Almost. And that's a duplex or what is that? It was a duplex, so we didn't have to change the use. We just had mm -hmm. to do the right renos to pull that to just to increase the value, right? So that was what we did on that one. Sweet. So uh, thanks for sharing. Uh, thanks for all the info, Josh. How can people how can people reach out to you if they need some help with this stuff? Yeah, always happy to chat. Set up an opening call. Um, Josh at synergymortgagegroup.com. Um, reach out to our office, uh, 905-529-2521, or you can reach me direct 905-906-7975. Uh, thanks awesome. Josh. I guess I should have pointed out too the relevance of sharing that was yeah. you know, to, to, to further show that, you know, having the right people in place, having 
the right information when you're going to go do these things is very important. So uh, thanks, Josh. Um, I'm sure a lot of people are going to want to reach out and ask you a bunch of questions. So you're going to have your plate full for the next little while here, yeah. I'm sure. And uh, Sandy, how can people get in touch with you? Uh, best way is through our office, 289-389-6846. And if someone would like to reach out to me, it is rob at mrbreakthrough.ca. So our second guest here on part two of the Burr series is Kate McKay. She's the owner-operator of Executive Properties, a property management company based out of Hamilton, uh, Hamilton, Ontario. And Kate's a previous guest on our show, uh, episode number 50, so you can go back and check that out if you like. Uh, Executive Properties is a full-service property management company, and Kate and her team have built the company up to where they, they now manage over, actually almost 600 units, uh, just over 500 units here in the Hamilton area, and they're growing fast. And Kate's, of course, also my wife, my business partner, and she helps run a lot of our business ventures, and probably the number one reason where, why we are where we are today. So welcome again to the show, Kate. Welcome. Thanks for having me, guys. And episode 50, I think, uh, Sandy, is probably one of our most popular, uh, most highly downloaded shows. It was, uh, I remember it was number one for, for a long time, that's for sure. Ooh, exciting. <laughs> I'm not sure where it is now, but I'm sure it's, it's one of them. Anyways, um, welcome awesome. back. Thanks for coming. Thanks for having me, guys. Uh, so, Kate, for those who haven't heard it or for those who just want uh, maybe to have an overview of what you've been up to, tell us a little mm -hmm. bit about your investing journey so far. Sure. Yeah. So, Cindy and I started investing in real estate uh, roughly about uh, five or six years ago at this point. We started out with no money and uh, tried to use creative strategies like wholesaling real estate uh, to accumulate our portfolio. So our very first wholesale deal allowed us to buy our first duplex in Oshawa. And um, ever since it's just been um, basically, um, we've been building our portfolio through partnering up with uh, like-minded individuals who want to be involved in real estate investing but don't necessarily have time um, or experience to actually go through all the dirty work themselves. So that's where we came in. And uh, yeah, I have been investing um, ever since. Uh, never stop, never slow down. We um, started with small renovation projects and then as time went on we uh, started doing bigger and bigger and bigger projects and i've been involved in everything from hiring contractors uh, managing them holding them accountable to timelines designing um, the layouts designing feature walls uh, picking out nice light fixtures because um, I think that's very important to attract uh, the right kind of tenant that we're looking for. And um, here we are today, uh, running a property management company, full scale, full um, operations for the last two years with now over, yeah, close to 600 doors. So you're, you're deeply involved in the whole process. You're not just uh, the property management aspect, because it sounds to me like, I mean, that's, that's what you just said is sort of deeply rooted in the whole refi portion to get mm -hmm. back the money. Um, so what we were just talking about before you came on. Right. Mm. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So um, 
obviously, you know, the whole reason we started property management company in the first place is because our portfolio grew uh, to the size where we couldn't physically address uh, everything at a very high level. So we ended up hiring an assistant, uh, Denise, who is here with us uh, to this day, and she's our leasing manager. She's been awesome, but her first role when she first started was part-time where she was uh, communicating with tenants, taking on uh, you know, work orders and maintenance tasks, as well as doing showings. And as we, as our company and our portfolio continued to, grew, uh, to grow, we um, basically needed more and more help. So it was kind of natural growth. And I guess to answer your question with regards to refi portion, I think that's very important. And that's part of the, you know, our mission of helping investors build generational wealth. Uh, we advise them on where to put their money so that they can uh, maximize the return on their investment. In that, how did you actually go? So you, you've, we had a bunch of properties uh, needed some help, obviously with property management. What was, I think some people are at that similar stage or they're, they're, they're knowing they need help in some, some form, whether it be on their own or they're going to hire someone else to do it for them. Mm -hmm. uh, how did you, how did you end up doing that? Where, where was the breaking point and what was it exactly that made you, made us say, you know, we need to hire this part out somehow? Um, so I think, um, it, you have to start with the end in mind. So is your goal to run, own and operate, um, property management business, which is really a 24 seven type of business. Um, if the answer is yes, then, uh, you basically need to start looking at, um, maybe at first doing everything yourself and then eventually hiring an assistant and uh, growing your company organically, which is kind of what we've done. Or if the answer is no, you have no interest in being involved in a type of business that's 24 seven, then you would be looking at hiring a property management company that can partner up with you and be your partner in helping you accomplish your long-term uh, goal of, building generational wealth through real estate. What do you think was the cue for you that I guess things were getting to, because everybody, I guess, starts out managing their own property more or less. I mean, some people don't, some people do, but let's say, you know, for the average person that does, mm -hmm. what do you think is sort of the, the breaking point? Like where, how did you decide, okay, this is too much for me to handle now by myself. Right. Um, so I think it's important to think about time and value. So what is your time worth and where do you want to be spending that time? Is it uh, communicating with tenants, collecting rents, making work orders and communicating with uh, trades like plumbers, electricians, or maybe is it, um, is your time worth more spending with your family on vacation or running another business that you may have or maybe a job like you're a doctor um, and you don't have time to deal with these things. So I think uh, at first it starts with evaluating your time and where you spend your time. Mm -hmm. And everyone's a little bit different. I think in that, in that sense, there's probably no one size fits all answer to that, right? Exactly. Yeah. Okay. 
Um, so specifically for this part of the show, we really want to talk about the burst strategy. Uh, we, mm-hmm. we've, we've talked with, uh, at this point, we've talked with on our pre- previous episode, we went through the, the buy process with uh, Adrian, we went through the renovation process with Lee. Uh, we talked with Josh about the mortgages and how, how he sets up the refinance and all that. Uh, really, let's focus on the, the rental part here and what that looks like with the with this whole burst strategy, because it, it kind of brings it all together at the end and, and manages, uh, you know, it's a management portion of the project, you know, mm-hmm. ongoing after it's finished. So where does, uh, where does your company usually get involved with the strategy? Um, wh- at what point do they, you know, step in and have some involvement? And then what does that, what does that involvement look like uh, for that strategy over the whole kind of process? Okay, sure. So first I'd like to point out that not every client that we work with, uh, does burst strategy. So that's first and foremost. But I think the most important thing when it comes to burst strategy is getting the rents, um, high rents that are going to allow you to refinance and hit a home run and pull all your invested equity out. Um, so that's really important. So we always work with our clients and do a walk through their property and give them suggestions on where they need to spend their money, maybe before 100% completing their renovations so that they can attract the type of tenant that's going to pay high rents. Most of our uh, one bed, uh, sorry, two bedroom units at this point go anywhere between 1495 to 1595, depending on location. And that's really high and really not typical for Hamilton. So when I do speak with um, our investors, a lot of them are, sh- are shocked to hear those numbers. So um, yeah, basically uh, a lot of it is just making your units look Uh, like they could be on Pinterest. So feature walls, high-end light fixtures, uh, stainless steel appliances, unique backsplashes, uh, quartz countertops, uh, things that people that are moving to Hamilton, because a lot of our tenants are actually from Toronto, Mississauga, are looking for, and a lot of stuff that other landlords aren't offering. So we actually do hear a lot of comments from uh, potential tenants or new tenants that all of our units have a certain look to it. So when they see pictures, they can almost say, I know that that's executive properties. So something interesting that I just thought of is that, um, at least in my experience, because a lot of times I won't go with the high end stuff. And and my refis always come in, but my rents might suffer a little bit possibly. Mm -hmm. So, so they both work hand in hand. Um, exactly. Saying. So absolutely, maybe I should be considering a little more as well, instead of sort of trying to save money because I know my refi is going to come in, but then the rents are possibly a little bit lower because of For that. sure. Well, yeah. You, so yeah. How do you evaluate that? Okay. Where do you, where do you draw the line? Right. Cause obviously there's a line somewhere where you, it just doesn't make sense to, to put that extra, mm-hmm. you know, extra, extra money into it. Where's the, where do you draw the line? How do you determine that? Well, I think you start at the beginning when you look at the property um, and determine what your budget for the renovation is going to be. Um, personally, most of the projects that we do are, we got everything to the studs and start from scratch. So our budgets are a bit higher. Uh, however, if that's not what your budget is. There are some unique ways to add that wow factor without spending a lot of 
money. So for example, if we add um, a cool feature wall that's going to cost us anywhere between $300 and $700 and nicer light fixtures that are maybe worth um, $150, $180, and it really sets your unit apart from the competition, you can probably make between $150 to $200 more a month on renting out that unit. Um, Okay, let's talk about a little bit about what a feature wall might look like. Um, sure. So some of feature, uh, I'm always on Pinterest and looking for unique and creative ideas on how we can um, do something fun. Um, so some of the feature walls that we've done in the past is barn board, which I think is now to me like two years old. Uh, we've done a uh, nice stone exposed brick. Uh, we've done in one of the unit uh, in one of the buildings that I've renovated. We had old plastered wall, and to strip to repair it was way too expensive. To strip it to uh, expose the brick was also way too expensive, way too time consuming. And so what I ended up doing, I actually invited an artist, and he painted like a custom mural on the entire wall, which was really cool, um, not that expensive. Tenants love it, it's unique. Um, and he actually used the peeling plaster on the wall, like as part of the art piece that went with it. Other inexpensive ways to do uh, feature walls, for example, is to add texture to a wall. So uh, what I mean by that is you can buy MDF uh, boards that are about four inches and do a cool geometrical design on the wall and either paint it a different color or paint it the same color, which will just create texture, but not necessarily cost you more money because you're spending it on a different paint color. Okay. So those are interesting ideas. Um, Now when let's talk about tenants because I know a lot of people that I run into are very proud of the high rents that they get. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I mean, there's certain type of tenants who maybe are receiving um, help from the government in some way or whatever disability that they really don't care what the rents are. Um, So that might be part of the reason why some people get the higher rents, but when you're screening for tenants, it sounds like you're demanding a high rent, but you're probably not looking for that kind of uh, that, What's your tenant profile? <laughs> I guess is my long-winded way of going <laughs> okay. to that question. So um, I guess the easiest comparison I would make is, are you shopping for a Toyota or are you shopping for a Range Rover? So the price points that you're looking, so everyone has a different budget, right? So um, our apartments are priced on a higher Um, scale of what um, maybe average rents would be in Hamilton. However, most typical tenant profile that we tend to attract are people that are moving to Hamilton from Toronto, Mississauga, maybe Oakville. They're either uh, moving here to save up money and buy a house, or they're moving here because they just recently got a job here, or just because they can't afford to pay you know, $2,000 in Toronto for a bachelor pad. So rents in Hamilton are still relatively inexpensive when we compare them to rents in 
areas like Toronto, Mississauga, and Oakville. Um, and at the same time, the product that we offer is very comparable to what you would see in those markets, if that makes sense. So um, just based on price point, we tend to attract a lot of um, young professionals between the age of, you know, 25 and 35 that are, that have good jobs and um, have the budget to pay for the units that we offer. And so what I, I must, when do you start thinking about that in terms of the birth strategy? When do you, when does that thought of who your tenant profile is and all that come to mind? I would say at the very beginning before you even buy the property. So, um, I mean, not all of our properties are in a plus neighborhoods. We have, uh, properties in, uh, maybe C, C minus neighborhoods. Uh, however, the look of the property doesn't necessarily change, but I think it's important to start thinking about that before you purchase the properties when you're talk when you're thinking and talking about your budget how much are you going to spend on renovation uh does it make sense to um you know set a budget aside of let's say two thousand dollars to do those feature walls and light fixtures or are we just going to maybe buy a property and repaint it and rent it out what so at the very beginning to answer that question very beginning. That makes sense. I mean, we like since um, from everybody that we've talked to, Sandy, about this whole strategy, it seems that each piece is intertwined with the next. Yeah. So, so it makes sense that each one of them has to be considered right from the very beginning. Exactly. And it's like when we're setting goals, we don't start with things we have to do and then eventually end up with a goal. We start with a goal and then we put stepping stones in place that are going to help us get to that goal. So what about this, Kay? What about if someone's doing their very first project like this or, or their first one where they're going to get property management involved at least, when mm -hmm. are they, when should they talk to a, a management company about this? When they haven't bought the property yet, they're just kind of looking around and where, where does property management companies come into play? When should they be looking to hire them? And, and then, and then after that, what, what are they looking for in a product management company when they are hiring them? Um, so first, again, I would say that you should have um, property management. If it's your first property, um, you may or may not need property management in the first place based on your personal situation. So if you're the type of person that wants to um, invest their money and not have to worry about anything. I would suggest that talking to a property manager beforehand is a smart idea and just kind of ask them questions and uh, determine whether that fits within your um, vision and your end goal. And you can start that process as soon as you speak to a real estate agent and just get um, maybe property management um, helps and tips that um, can help you with maybe selecting the right property and get advice on um, 
where to look for that property because not every real estate agent is familiar with the rental market in Hamilton and they may not be able to help you and answer those questions ahead of time. So I think it's a smart idea to get property management advice before you, you purchase something. And what, what are a few key questions that someone can ask a management company when they're looking to hire them? Um, so if you're already made the decision that property management is the way to go for you, I think it's really important to first ask them, what is your mission, vision, values, and beliefs of your company as a whole? Because at the end of the day, um, property management companies all do the same thing. How they do it and why they do it is different. So do their, does their mission speak to you? Do their values speak to you? What about their vision? So I think it's really important. And I think if the company doesn't have those in place, that would be a red flag because that's almost like um, they're just floating around and aren't actually working towards something. Um, so that would be number one. Um, and then I, I think I already mentioned that do those align with what you're looking for and does it make sense to you? Um, what does the company do to constantly innovate and improve um, their operations? Because, you know, with ever changing technology, um, innovation is almost daily for us. Uh, we're constantly improving systems and how we operate to be more efficient, to provide better service. So those things are really important. Um, and the other thing is, are they asking you questions? Are they wanting to hear what's important to you? Because at the end of the day, people are looking for value. And so if they're not asking you what's important to you as a client when it comes to property management um, and they're just selling, that means that they're not really doing proper needs analysis with you to figure out whether or not you're a good fit for them and vice versa. So for example, um, when we work with our owners, one owner may say, I actually don't wanna hear from you ever. I trust you with everything that you do. Um, I just want to buy this property and forget that I have it. Um, when on the other scale, we may have an owner who asks us, communication is really important to me. And that's one thing that we hear time and time again is that they're not getting good communication with from their property manager. So communication may be very important to them and they wanna know every time a tenant moves out, every time a tenant moves in, uh, every time we do a work order. So if things like that um, would be you know, important to pay attention to. Are they asking you what's important to you as a client? Um, and then the other thing uh, that I think gets overlooked a lot is does the property manager, the person in charge have business coaching? That's so important because every major league player is coached by someone. Uh, they're coached not because they 
don't know property management business, but to hold them accountable to their mission, vision, values, beliefs, to hold them accountable to innovation and um, networking and learning and improving. So I think that is also very important because if somebody tells you, no, I don't need business coaching. Um, I've been in this business for 20 years. So where are, they, where are they, how are they learning and growing and, and that to improve their business regularly? Right? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So that would probably be some of the bigger mistakes that you see investors that are working with property management companies making any other ones. Um, so I think number one is when you look at, when most people look at property management companies, they always ask, how much do you charge? And I think that's a big one because um, pricing in property management uh, can be very deceiving. So when somebody runs a very um, high level uh, successful business and it's constantly uh, growing and not declining in the number of doors, they know that to sustain the back end operation and high level service um, is very important. So when somebody is offering you um, very cheap property management price just to bring you on board, um, maybe deceiving you with all the fees that are going to come in afterwards because this business is not sustainable with just management fees. So that would be number one. So again, if in the absence of value, price is always going to be uh, the main comparison. And we're not talking about apples to apples. We're talking about apples to oranges, if that makes sense. Um, the other mistakes that I see a lot of investors doing is micromanaging. So being too involved with the property manager. and basically stepping almost on their toes and maybe sometimes almost step, uh, stepping in and communicating with the tenants. The idea is that you want to be removed from the process and uh, make it not personal, make it business. So let the property manager do what they do uh, best. With regards to uh, renovate uh, renovated units i see that one of the biggest mistakes that they do is rushing to rent the unit when it's not ready so you haven't fully completed the renovations there's still a few minor things left to do but it looks okay in pictures you can't see all these minor little deficiencies so let's get it going Uh, let's get it rented and then we'll finish up these things and 90% of the time, those things are not done before the tenant moves in. So that kind of um, isn't the best way to start the relationship with the tenant. So that would be another one. Um, The other thing is maybe not seeing the bigger picture of why property, why you hire property management in the first place. Um, What I mean by that is uh, overanalyzing every work order that goes on and over and, and not thinking about the service aspect when it comes to um, servicing the tenants because as property managers, we're not just here to 
provide service to our clients, but we're also there to take care of our tenants and their properties. So that would be another one. Um, and um, yeah, those are basically the biggest ones I would say. The service fee is almost like a interest rate in a way, right? There's, it's like looking at an interest rate on a mortgage. It's, it's one, piece exactly. of the one piece of the puzzle and not even close to the whole thing because there's so Absolutely. many extra so many extra pieces to it. Yeah. And I might, I might sort of liken it to, I mean, the, the, the fees are definitely important, but when, yeah, yeah I would look at it this way. Um, some people would go and hire a discount brokerage to sell their house. Right. And they're going to get, you know, an ad that doesn't describe what their property actually has to offer. They're going to get dark pictures that are turned sideways because the guy doesn't care and he's taking these pictures with his phone and that kind of thing. So, I mean, uh, I would, I, I mean, I'm going to go ahead and go out on a limb and say that you'd probably get the same kind of service from a discount property management company. For sure. Absolutely. And um, again, because I know the business and I know the cost to create a successful infrastructure to be able to service our clients at a high level with great communication and likewise for the tenants. I know the work and um, manpower that goes behind the scenes for that. So um, property management companies offer their services at a discounted rate are probably compromising other very important factors that go into running a successful and profitable and, um, you know, great service company. The uh, the rents are also a key for the refinance portion as well. Like, I mean, a lo um, most banks are going to want to see the leases in place, right? Before the refinance, some of them will do it, you know, based on uh, what they think the market rent will be for the place. But uh, mm -hmm. I think that a lot of what you said is very important as far as that goes too. So um, any other last minute things that we need to touch on? Not on my end, if you have any I mean, additional I know that questions. There's a whole bunch. Like we could probably, you know, it's not like we covered everything, that's for sure. But uh, maybe if people have more questions, they can give you a call. How would they get in touch with you? Absolutely. So they can follow us on Instagram, uh, which is executive underscore PM. They can email us and maybe you guys can pop in my email address um, right on the screen because it's pretty long or they can call our office at 289-270-2922, extension two. Yeah, we'll put your email in the show notes, which is usually Perfect. We'll put all the information there so people don't have to watch the video or, uh, or you know, write it down while you're saying it. Just go to the show notes for the show and Kate's email will be in there. Perfect. Great, well, thank you. I appreciate you coming on to share all of this. And that's going to be a wrap eh, of our, our, our Burr series. So hopefully everyone got a, a good, uh, you know, a little more deeper dive into the, the segments of it. And hopefully everyone is able to take, uh, you know, some good knowledge out of that, some good contacts if you need help to reach out, like we said with Kate there and, uh, and the others that we've had on. Um, I think these last couple episodes have a ton of value for everyone. So re-listen to them, ask, reach out for help from the, from the guests and, uh, and uh, ask more questions and, and, and get going with stuff. Take some action. Yeah, I do too. And I think that uh, this one was quite a bit different than normally if we were talking to somebody about property management. I think that the things that we touched on were, you know, um, in direct 
response to the topic that we're talking about, right? So we didn't go deep into, you know, what ads should say and that kind of thing. It's more along the lines of trying to streamline this entire process of the uh, buy, renovate, refi, and rent. It's always, it throws me off because I use the F. BFR, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Different uh, versions of it. I've heard a lot of different versions. So yeah, that'll be a wrap on that. I'm sure that everyone did get a lot of, this was really interesting. I think Mm -hmm. everyone will get a lot of, um, uh, a lot of good information out of this just because we did go deeper and we talked to the exact specialists. I think it makes a big difference talking to the specialists as opposed to talking to an investor who's just went through the process. Right. Yeah, exactly. A lot of different perspective there. Okay. Uh, Sandy, how can people get in touch with you? Uh, 289-389-6846 or info at mckayrealtynetwork.com. If you want to reach me, it's 289-927-0464 or info at breakthroughreipodcast.ca. You can get Sandy there too. Okay. See you next time. Thanks. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye.